0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. 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 Let me invite you to take out this rather extensive handout that you have here this morning. And I know some of you don't necessarily uh, find that a help, but today I guarantee you'll need it. (laughs) So please do take it out. And today we're going to come to the end of our series You belong to God. And I'd like each of us to ask ourselves this question this morning. Do I really belong to God? Like that little lamb up there, do I find myself in the arms of the Lord Jesus, and do I belong to him, soul and body, body, mind, and spirit? And we're going to ask that question by doing three things this morning. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to briefly look over the teaching that we've covered over this last six weeks. Because it's God's word, and through God's word, our mind is renewed and set to rights. And then secondly, I'm going to take you to the same exhortation that Paul gave his friends in Corinth this morning. And then finally, I'm going to offer you some pastoral advice. Now, I do that with fear and trembling, for while I know that God's word is true, the question is, who is Henry and why does his opinion matter? (laughs) Nevertheless, I want to leave you from this series with a walkaway that I personally have found to be a great practical help to myself, and I hope it will prove so. For you as well well okay what is it that we have seen so far from the scriptures you have it there in your handout first of all we said that we belong to god the whole person body and soul therefore we said that a Christ, that the christian life cannot be lived out rightly apart from our physical bodies we are a whole person and it is the whole person that must encounter God body mind and spirit secondly we said that marriage is the place that God has given us here on earth where God intends that marriage be the place where we have physical and spiritual intimacy with our lifelong covenant spouse. One whole integrated person is united to another whole integrated person, and these two become one flesh. That's God's gift to us. And as part of that picture, we said this, sex is good. <laughs> I'm glad I got an amen out of that. You see, sex is a Christian story it is our God that gave us sexuality and friends we own this topic not the enemy well then thirdly we said that the enemy has infiltrated our ranks and he's done much damage we live at the bitter end of the sexual revolution it has brought broken families broken sexuality and much pain to ourselves and to others around us by what others have done and what others have done to us. So, fourthly, then, we emphasized that our broken sexuality can be healed at the foot of the cross. Now, this is not a quick fix. Nor is it an easy road to follow. Yet, I promise you that here this morning, there are many who can testify personally that God can heal us from our brokenness. They have experienced it for themselves. And then further we said that healing needs to start somewhere. You have to get on the train of healing if you want to have healing in your life and that healing begins with repentance toward God and adopting a new framework by which we live that framework is called chastity 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 for marriage for married persons means we have sole and exclusive commitment to our spouse And in that commitment, we remain physically and mentally faithful till death do us part. For the single man or woman, chastity means continence or self control over our bodies. Now, here's the fifth thing we learned we learned that God is looking at us with loving eyes. God sees in us a glory that we don't even see in ourselves. He knows us, despite all our brokenness, to be glorious men and women. And God wants us to achieve our glorious end through the principle of waiting and continence. God wants to use our commitment to holiness to make us something new and special inside. He wants to make us fit for a lifetime in this present world and for an eternity in his presence in the new kingdom. That's what God wants for us. All right. In light of all this, then... It is time for us to take a serious look at ourselves. And that is exactly what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 10. Am I in the right place? Let's go back. Come on, go back. There you go. Well, that's not. Nice. What are you doing here? There we go. Let's uh let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. Now, we began our series with 1 Corinthians 6, if you recall. And now we're ending it here in 1 Corinthians 10. And though we've looked at a number of texts all along the way, though we've looked at a number of of texts, the material that we have covered is the material that Paul covers as he moves from 1 Corinthians 6 through 1 Corinthians 10. And by the time that Paul gets to 1 Corinthians 10, he says, folks, it's time for some serious self-assessment now look there in your handout at first corinthians 10 chapter 1 paul says i do not want you to be unaware brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea all were baptized into moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages has come. An interesting passage. The question is, what is Paul trying to say as the summary of all this morality that he has offered them from chapters 6 through 10? He's already pointed out that many of them had experienced brokenness, especially sexual brokenness. Many of them had left behind a lifestyle that caused them great pain but now in verses 1 through 11 Paul is addressing some of the Corinthians who it turns out are still living in their brokenness and they're still acting out their brokenness and they were inflicting pain on themselves and on others it's to this group that Paul says, folks, come to your senses. He says to them, look and learn from the children of Israel. Here's Paul's stern warning for these who are unrepentant. He says, number one, For you Corinthians, you have to understand it's possible to be among the people of God. You can be baptized, you can come to church, you can do all that stuff that makes you look like a Christian to other people. But, he says, you can find out that you are not part of the people of God. We may find out that we are not personally born again, And we may find out that we will never reach the promised land. Therefore, Paul says, use spiritual wisdom. You who are still living in your old way of life. Use spiritual wisdom. Learn from the mistakes of the children of Israel. Let your life and your conduct be consistent with your profession of faith. And then finally, he says to all in the church in Corinth, understand the times in which you are living. He says, salvation is at the hand. The judge is at the door. Don't find yourself left out of the kingdom. You and I are called, like the Corinthians, to a life of holiness in our mind, and in our body. He says, in this, the end of the ages, if your personal goal is that, hey, I want to look like everybody else in this world, I want to do what everyone else in this world does, he says, then you're going to end up like the majority of this world. You're going to find yourself dying right there in the wilderness and never making the promised land. He says, it is inevitable that you must be different. If you're going to accomplish the kingdom of God if however he says if however you want lasting peace and stability and healing then turn to the shepherd of your souls if you're his lamb you will find joy and peace and wholeness okay this is where a good theology prof stops. I've given you the theory. And I was tempted to stop here myself because I've given you a lot of good moralistic admonishment. Buck up! Live the Christian life! Stop sinning! But you see, that's not where Paul ends this section up. He goes a little farther to verses 12 and 13, and here's what Paul says. He says, no temptation is taking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able." But will with a temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Yeah, I memorized it in the King James a million years ago. You see, there were undoubtedly in the congregation of the Corinthians those who weren't genuine believers. And there were those for whom these words of admonishment about dying in the wilderness had 100% application. They had not changed their lifestyle. They had not come to Christ, even though they were in the church. But you see, that's not what Paul believes about most of these folks. He says, I know that most of you want to have victory over sin. That's your desire. You want to find the way of escape. And I think that's true of most of you here this morning. You want to have the ability to escape sin and live the victorious Christian life. But here's the rub. Often it seems like we simply don't have the power to do that. We find ourselves in the midst of sexual temptation or covetousness or anger and what? We find ourselves losing the battle. And we despair. We say, God... Why is your promise in 1 Corinthians 13 that no temptation can overtake me? Why is your promise of finding a way of escape not available for me? Why doesn't it work? Well, the fundamentalist preacher might say, well, it's because you're not a true believer. Maybe. The Pentecostal preacher might say, well, it's because you're not fully surrendered to the Spirit could be. But friends, we are Anglicans. And we stand at the end of 2,000 years of Christians wrestling with this verse right here. How can I find victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil? Well, Pastor Colin last week sort of alluded alluded to it, in his sermon, as he mentioned, fasting. Deacon Dr. David alluded to the answer to the question two weeks ago when he spoke about Hebrews 12 and discipline. But I'm sure many of us here this morning just shake our heads and say, sorry, I just don't get it. How can denying myself a chocolate chip cookie have anything to do with finding the way of escape when I'm there in the midst of temptation? Am I making some sense to some of you? Those seem like completely and totally unrelated matters. So I'd like to spend the rest of our time here this morning trying to answer the question, how do those two things relate to one another? And as I do so, I hope that you will come to a deeper understanding of three things here. How your own soul works in the image of God. Two, the importance of discipleship that you have in God's church. And three, this is the hard one, the length and difficulty of the journey that lies before each of us. Okay? So here's the short answer. You ready? Here's the short answer about the chocolate chip cookie. When you or I are right there in the midst of temptation, whether it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life, the chocolate chip cookie is entirely irrelevant. Because the victory at that moment will depend on the kind of person you have learned to be long before you faced the temptation nevertheless the kind of person that you are becoming actually has a whole lot to do with a chocolate chip cookie and god working his discipline in us let me see if i can explain you ready turn over to the back of that handout please And what I have for you here is a modest proposal of how we function as the people of God. Now, here's my disclaimer, that's not what you really like on the inside, okay? You don't look like that on the inside. This is only a model. It has all the limitations and approximations of a model. Nevertheless, I have found this to be a very helpful way to think about what's going on in my life. And so I'm offering it to you this morning, lest you say, I go to church and all I hear are fancy phrases. I can't see how this applies to my life. Okay, so what is it that you're looking at here? What you're looking at there is the whole person. The whole person that belongs to God. And that person basically consists of two elements, okay? It consists of the outer visible body. That's the big gray ring here, okay? Unfortunately, that's what my body is looking like more and more these days. This is the visible material body. But the second part of you is the invisible or immaterial part of you. This is the part that lives eternally. And if you're a believer, this is the part that will, at the resurrection, enter the new body and you will live on then as one new whole immortal person. So then, we are the outer visible body and the inner invisible immaterial person. You remember sometimes when I offer you communion, I'll pray that Christ would keep you body and soul. And that's what I'm referring to. Okay, now, the inner immaterial you consists of two parts. It's often spoken of in the Bible this way spoken of the mind and the spirit. Now, don't get lost here because in the Greek language, the mind is sometimes called by some New Testament writers the soul as well, okay? So that's a little confusion. But the immaterial person is two parts, the mind and the spirit. In the unbeliever, what? The spirit is what? Is dead, right? He's dead in trespasses and sins. But in the believer who has been born again, the spirit is made alive so that in the very deepest part of the inner person god the holy spirit fellowships with your spirit remember what paul says he says that you are a temple of the spirit of god within you and this outer material body which you can see Contains the inner immaterial person that you can't see. And at the deepest core of that immaterial person, there the Holy Spirit is living in you. Are we together? You got that? So then you say to me, well, what's the big problem then? If the Holy Spirit is living in me, well, just let him take control. Let him take charge of the whole thing, and whoop, the problem solved. Never sin again. So what's the problem? Here's the problem. The problem is that the deep core where the spirit lives does not control what you do. That's not how you're designed. Now, here's the silver bullet for the morning. You ready? You say, what in the world is this guy talking about? This is it. This is the silver bullet. So pay attention to this. Go back. What controls what you do? The choices that you make is this bright red thing called consciousness. Consciousness is the managing director. It's the traffic cop. It's the drill sergeant that determines what you do or what you don't do. The silver bullet is your consciousness controlling your behavior you and i have been given this marvelous gift of human consciousness think about this for a moment consciousness can stand outside of yourself as humans we actually have the ability to reflect on what we're feeling and even what we're thinking Now, I love dogs. I know lots of you love dogs, right? I love dogs? The human, like the dog, gets hungry, thirsty, fearful, right? But unlike the dog, you and I have the ability to stand outside of ourselves and reflect on our past, our present, and our future condition. See, a dog doesn't worry about being hungry tomorrow. He only knows he's either hungry at this moment or he's not. Human consciousness, however, can be aware of itself and can analyze its own condition. Now, here's the amazing thing for us as Christians. Consciousness can actually learn how to direct our desires and even calmer emotions but this is critical consciousness must be developed and trained now if you're with me this moment you 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 might even be a step ahead of me because you, you might be thinking well wouldn't it be fantastic if somehow i could get that holy spirit that lives deep down inside of me controlling what that consciousness is doing up here Wouldn't that be a a wonderful thing? That's the question. How do I develop my consciousness so that it stays in touch with what the Spirit wants me to do? And stay in touch day after day, hour after hour, even when the dog poops on the rug? Well, this is exactly the question. In fact, friends, Almost every single thing we do at church is an attempt to answer this question right here. Now, I know it may not always seem like it, but that is, in fact, what we're trying to do. A normal, healthy person, from birth to old age, is in the process of developing and training consciousness. We're teaching our conscious self to rule and order our existence. All right. In a healthy person, we are able to absorb, on the one hand, numbers, facts, figures, logic. We call that our rational mind. On the other hand, we're able to absorb sensations, Feelings, impressions, experiences, often we can't even put them in words. We call that our sensate mind. This is a distinction most of us know, right? Left brain, right brain, right? Most of us are familiar with that. Now, when we receive inputs from our rational and our sensate mind, what happens? We generate emotions. Emotions. Fear, anger, energy, passion, we generate emotions. And those emotions then lead to various kinds of desires. Now, thus far, you and your dog are not all that different. His rational mind, although it's not as strong as yours, and his sensate mind receives inputs and generates emotions and desires. And what happens next he acts on those desires we however can choose to fulfill or not fulfill those desires and here friends is the glory of being human right here at this point our consciousness can step in and say to our desires whoa wait a minute to follow that desire to action will lead to undesirable consequences so i must say no to that desire and here's the amazing thing as consciousness becomes stronger and stronger it can actually begin to reorder our desires leading us to those desires which lead to actions for the good, the better, and best consequences. Your conscious self can actually grow to the place where it can adjudicate among even your emotions, validating some emotions, but gently and firmly denying others. So here's the question, how do you get your consciousness to that place? And here's the really hard news, it's a process, it's a process. Blessed are those who begin it at a very young age, (laughs) nevertheless, you and I can grow. In fact, we must grow in this process throughout our whole lives. Not only can we direct and redirect our desires so that we choose the best ones, we can actually grow to the place where consciousness changes those desires. But how do we do that? By choosing what flows through the rational and the sensate mind. Your consciousness can set you up to determine what flows into you by determining where the body places itself. By feeding the reasonable truth of God's word into our rational mind, we are actually in the process of reformulating our desires. You didn't come here this morning just to hear a bunch of information. You came here this morning to be transformed, to become something different, to let God's word change what you love and what you don't. By choosing carefully the sensate data that comes into us, we are actually directing and redirecting our emotions and hence, desires. All right, now the chocolate chip cookie. Here's where that comes in. In the power of the Holy Spirit we can actually teach our souls that consciousness ought to reign over us. It ought to reign over our immediate desires. That cho- denying yourself that chocolate chip cookie is actually a soul workout that builds up the strength of consciousness to say no to some desires and joyfully say yes to others. It isn't the denial of the chocolate chip cookie that means anything at all. It is the intentional strengthening of the conscious self that leads to right choices, and right choices lead to peaceful and good ends, the ones we really want in our lives. All right, well, there's a bunch of other things I think you can observe out of this, and I hope that you take this home this afternoon and think through it and think, what kind of things are going in me? How am I doing I'm letting my conscious self take control over the things that I think I want in my life? I invite you to take it home and have a a conversation with your conscious self. You can actually do that. (laughs) Have a conversation with your conscious self. And this is the question I want you to ask as you do that. Does all of me really belong to God? Does my body, my mind, and my spirit belong to him? And what steps do I really need to take that God may save me fully? Body, mind, and spirit. Amen.